Welcome to Inside Outside Innovation, Episode 93. Natalie Fratto is Vice President of Early Stage Practice at Silicon Valley Bank Financial Group. She also was involved with a startup that went through Y Combinator and was eventually acquired by a larger organization in the beauty tech space. She talked with our host, Brian, about what it's like to sit on both sides of the table and what sort of intelligence will be the most important for teenagers when they seek jobs. New technologies, markets, and methodologies are changing the way people create value. Inside Outside Innovation is the podcast that brings together the best and brightest in the world of innovation, tackling these challenging problems. Inside Outside Innovation is hosted by Brian Ardinger, founder of Next, a provider of research, events, and consulting services that helps innovators and entrepreneurs build better products, launch new ideas, and compete in a world of change and disruption. For more information on our team, visit next.co, that's N-X-X-T And for more information on the upcoming I.O. Innovation Summit, May 29th through 31st here in Lincoln, Nebraska, visit theiosummit.com. So this probably resonates with some of the listeners. I had a kind of a zigzaggy path into uh, where I'm sitting now. Looking back, it's kind of easy to draw a line and say, how things were logical, but um, I think, you know, like most people, I've had a, an interesting path. So while I was in college, I interned for a startup as the, I guess, technically the first hire for a hyper-local marketing platform out in LA. And that startup was uh, only around for nine months before they got acquired. So I had a really early taste of um, what it feels like to be on that side of the table, a very atypical situation, and kind of caught the startup bug from that experience. Uh, And the two co-founders of that startup I was lucky enough to work with, they both had done uh, management consulting previously, and I loved the way that they thought through problems and approached solutions. So they kind of guided me toward, you know, thinking about consulting as a first launching point. Um, I went to IBM, and for the first year I was there, I was focused on mergers and acquisitions in the semiconductor and med device industries, so really technical products. Um, which was exciting because I was getting to work with probably a caliber of folks that it, you know, a very first job typically doesn't get access to and solving really interesting problems about go-to-market strategy and acquiring other companies and, and learning about technologies that were really in-depth. Love that experience. And then as IBM Watson was first being commercialized, I popped over into that team because it seemed like another, you know, exciting technical challenge. Um, and we were figuring out sort of how to sell it for the first time, who would buy it in the education industry, where would Watson be the most effective in the retail industry? How could we solve uh, retail problems using that technology? And uh, loved the experience, honestly got really sick of the travel. Uh, consultant's <laughs> lifestyle is, you know, Monday to Thursday, uh, all hours of the day, and, you know, Fridays you kind of recoup and do expenses. Um, loved the experience, but I had moved to New York, and I wanted to be full-time in a city and, and back into um, something more startup game. So I sort of coincidentally um, met the CEO and founder, Alana Aviv, I think went through one of her early investors, and she brought me on to run operations. The role that I have at SVB is very much working with the founder side of the house and really helping them scale however I can. It's sort of an odd hybrid role of, call it business development for the bank, but also sort of like a, a venture job where I'm talking to all of the early stage startups across New York, sometimes other cities as well, and figuring out how SVB can be most helpful, whether it's introductions to other VCs, helping them apply to accelerator programs, uh, helping on the banking financing side, holding events, programming, 
introducing them to each other. Uh, really, my job is to sort of catalyze the venture and startup ecosystem here in New York and, and make the path easier for other entrepreneurs. And, and that kind of brings us to kind of how I met you. I, I was reading uh, Medium on blog posts, and you had a great article called, Damn Girl, You've Got a High AQ. <laughs> and the subtitle is Why Adaptability is More Important Than IQ and EQ. And that really res- resonated with me and, and some of the other folks that um, I talk with on a regular basis because I really do believe that uh, this concept of adaptability and being able to kind of uh, change and readapt your role and your skills uh, are, are really what the next generation of uh, workforce and that are going to have to be accustomed to. So tell me a little bit about the, that that article, kind of what made you uh, put that into life and, and kind of your thoughts on all, everything around AQ. Yeah. Well, first of all, I obviously agree with you. I think adaptability is more than ever becoming a kind of a critical ingredient piece for, for all of us to navigate um, the economic, political climate, uh, how technology is changing our lives. But the genesis of the article really came out of conversations I keep having. Uh, as you mentioned, I love early stage startups and everything is sort of chaos at that stage. So whatever you learn in school, whatever you have, you know, think the skills that you think you have coming into it will not be applicable on day two or seven. Um, so I think I, I've had a lot of conversations with other founders or um, people in the industry, and they speak to the idea that they really need people who can think on their feet or they're really resilient. Um, and I think we're all sort of talking about a new type of intelligence, which I'm calling AQ. And I, I heard the term originally at a Singularity University conference, so it's a sort of frontier tech-facing group of people. And the concept is really that we've been so focused on the idea of IQ and whether somebody is quote unquote smart or not for such a long time. And, you know, with an sort of emergence in the idea that emotional intelligence is also important. And, and I agree. I think both of those are indicators of how well someone will succeed, but neither of them tell the full story. I think we, I subscribe to Carol Dweck's growth mindset that any of the intelligence we're born with, we're able to change. We're able to, um, you know, sort of put our heads down and work hard and, and get better at these things. But the reason we're able to, uh, get better and, and work over time is a testament to how adaptable we are. And in my parents' generation or their parents' generation, it was a little less relevant. You would hop into a job and you would have that job for the next 50 years and be able to rely on um, what you were trained to do in, this, in the job that you were you know, expected to, to perform. But as we all know, technology is compounding and it moves at an accelerating rate. And Gen Z these days, I, I fear that the education they're going to get won't prepare them for the jobs they're going to have. I'm, I guarantee you I won't be able to predict um, a teenager's job function. I bet it's a word I don't even know yet. Right. Um, like if they were to look back and say, you know, you would be a digital marketing or an SEO paid search expert five years ago, that wouldn't have resonated. Um, so the ones who I think will really be able to succeed are those who are able to face change head on and uh, thrive in the face of adversity, change, and really get excited by the prospect of learning new things. I think curiosity is very highly correlated. Um, but also, I think personally, it's, you know, I look back at my, my experiences and background to this point, and some would say that's kind of lost or you seem confused. I think there's a, a little bit of a self-indulgent new reframing of, you know, I, I'm not lost. I'm just adaptable. And I think, you know, if you can get excited by the new challenges, you have a better ability to thrive in, in future well, it's, it's interesting too when you think about other technologies, whether it's you know artificial intelligence and that, and the fact that 
you know, as a teenager today, you have all the world's knowledge in your pants pocket, you know, that adaptability becomes more of the differentiator rather than the fact that you have access to knowledge or uh, access to technology. So yeah, uh, I do think that that's a key differentiator in the future. I agree. I think sort of this rote memorization focus. So a lot of job titles and not to diminish the experiences of doctors, for instance, but so much of their skill set is based off of spending a lot of time focused heads down retaining information. And at the end of the day, I'm never going to be as good as a computer at retaining information and adding new information. And if somebody has access to a smartphone and can look up new research things that didn't exist two years ago, they're going to have an advantage in competitive knowledge-based roles. I think the things that differentiate us from machines and will make us competitive in an artificially intelligent world are the things that make us innately human, which are our abilities to relate to each other, our abilities to understand complex challenges and, and make changes based off of a number of factors. That's more difficult for robots. And I think it's, you know, I think something beautiful about the human condition. Right. So you've been working with a lot of uh, early stage startups on that. Are, are there particular kind of characteristics or things that you've started to track or plan around as far as looking for this AQ uh, capability within founders? It's a really good question. I'm um, embarking on a quest now to talk to more thought leaders and uh, social scientists, researchers who have um, probably a more scientific approach to understanding it. I think you and I both can look at somebody and, you know, grade yes or no, this person is adaptable. Right. Um, and and I'm, what I'm trying to do is figure out how to test that gut check. Um, some of the words that I know that get thrown around and, and feel resonant are risk takers, resiliency, uh, growth mindset, the tinkerer, uh, someone who's curious, um, I think this disruptor mindset, um, someone who's flexible and open-minded and transparent. Like there's a lot of words that sort of get to it, but what I'm trying to do next is how to quantify it and how to test it. And then, you know, if I know I've scored a 70 out of 100 on adaptability, what are the tangible steps I can take next to improve it? Oh, absolutely. And then it also goes down to the fact of, you know, help is it something that you can't actually train <laughs> or is it something that's more innate and in, in particular people and and or is it you know sliding scale how does that all work and, yeah uh, my bias is we can train it i just i just don't know yeah. how yet so this is a good time to actually announce that uh you are coming out to the inside outside innovation summit may 29th through 31st and we are uh very excited to have you out here to talk a little bit more about uh some of the things that you're learning and, and uh, eq as kind of a topic so I don't know if you've been out to the Midwest uh, or, or seen some of the stuff going on here, but uh, tell me a little bit about uh, what you're looking forward to and, and what you might uh, share at the summit. Yeah, I'm, well, I'm thrilled, thrilled to join. Thank you so much for asking me to. Um, I am from the Midwest. I, I was born and raised in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So though I live in New York now and spend a lot of time in you know on the coast cities, I've always been a firm believer that the next best technologies aren't going to come out of the saturated tech hubs. I think very much subscribe to the fact that there are brilliant people everywhere and that um, sort of this adaptability is evenly distributed, whereas opportunities are definitely not. So as much as I'm able to help and, and we at Silicon Valley Bank or you know, other colleagues of ours are able to help um, spur growth in these other areas, I think we're doing everyone a service, including our own pockets and, and our own um, you know, futures. Uh, I think there's beautiful things coming out of the Midwest. I think there's a lot of uh, closeness to problems to solve. I'm excited by a lot of the ag tech uh, across mm -hmm. the Midwest and 
um, really looking forward to, you know, having a close proximity to, to some of the innovators and thinkers there. So switching topics a little bit, we've spent a lot of time talking about kind of the startup side of things. Uh, you've also had an opportunity being with IBM and, and uh, you know, being in a bigger company now as far as like a bank, um, mm-hmm. that traditional kind of corporate environment. When it comes to adaptability and some of the topics we talked about, how do you see either similarities or differences between those two types of cultures and where do you see the two being able to work and collaborate together? Good question. So I like to think of IBM as sort of a perfect use case in, a, in adaptability. Um, I feel like they're really undervalued lately. You look at IBM and you think kind of an old school brand, someone who's been around for a really long time. But I think what we discount is that is really impressive. IBM has been a household name since inception. I mean, I believe they started in 1911 and they were selling tabulating machines, um, sort of handheld uh, calculation devices. Um, and the ability to ride the S&P 500 for as long as they have, um, even though the products and services have changed tremendously, is a testament to how, uh, what I call their organizational AQ. Um, yeah, and adaptability at scale. I mean, it's uh, Yeah, adaptability at scale. And, and I'm, not, yeah. Um, I'm excited to dive more into the topic and figure out what characteristics uh, – as an organization, how you infuse it across your entire, I think IBM has 400,000 employees, maybe more these days. Um, but, but I can tell you that I saw it firsthand. So mm-hmm. when I was you know, working in consulting, there was a, a partner I really enjoyed working with, and, and he was an artificial intelligence and machine learning expert. Um, I recently looked at his LinkedIn, and he now is focused on blockchain and cryptocurrencies. Right. Seems like an odd leap. Perhaps you know, a quick blush, you say, well, how is he an expert in that? But what IBM does a really good job of is selling the brand of innovation and change. And if you're able to make that part of your core DNA, um, you empower your employees to always focus on the areas of growth and, and, and where the money is going. Um, if, you know, if next year we decide that blockchain is not the technology, but it's really AR, VR, I fully expect that IBM will be one of the, the leaders in um, AR, VR technology being brought to market. And I think, you know, organizations who do that are the ones who are able to ride change, um, not being tied to your specific product set. Yeah, I, I, I like that as well. You know, and it speaks to also that adaptability from an individual perspective, because, I mean, it used to be where, you know, you could know your knowledge and know your particular skill set, and you could ride that for a long time. And now, like you said, a person jumping from, uh, you know, one technology to another, uh, they can do that not only because it's, everything's changing, so they have to, um, but it's it's faster and easier to kind of get up to speed on new things that are changing versus uh, going into a an environment where you have 20 years of knowledge and and that knowledge is all you're always going to be behind the curve. I think that curve is you know changing in such a way that uh, uh, it's easier to jump onto the new thing because everything is moving so fast. You can become an expert fairly quickly. Yeah, absolutely. I, we have access to become you know smarter faster. I think I read a stat recently that. Um, I don't know exactly when, but back in the 80s or 90s, if you were on the Fortune, call it 500 uh, list, or maybe Fortune 100, you had about 15 years, maybe 20 years um, to be able to to ride that position of power. Um, and now it has, at best, become a period of six years. Um, so IBM is obviously an outlier in this, but it's just to, to companies who are on that upward trajectory, something to really think about. You don't have you have more competition these days and um, it's easier for competitors to get to market and to be able to um, go after what you're doing. So I think it has to be in your DNA to, um, to, to ride the current better. 
So what are some of the things that you read or, or, or do to kind of keep yourself uh, in tune and, and unskilled with uh, being more adaptable? It's a good question. Um, this is kind of from left field, but my favorite uh, blogger, so I'm, I'm really new to writing, but uh, a lot of what I try to emulate is, is this blog called Wait But Why, which is, I believe it's just two guys. And it's they, I don't know if you've read it, they, they write on really impressive, important topics like the singularity or quantum computing or something. And the way that they do it is through really accessible, simple language, stick figures and swear words. Um, so I think it speaks to the sort of child in all of us. I'm curious and I want to know what's happening, but I, I don't, I think we no longer have to be um, really obtuse in the language we use. So I'm reading a lot of, you know, a lot of that sort of layman style understanding of, of big, broad topics. And I think what's cool is you can consume that quickly, move on to the next topic. And, you know, let's say next week blockchain is my focus. I can, you know, spend two hours and feel like a pseudo expert enough to at least have more questions than answers, which is, which is fun. That wraps up another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. Thanks for listening. To hear Natalie speak again, get your tickets today to come to the IO Innovation Summit, May 29th through the 31st, where she'll be speaking. Go to the IO Summit for all your questions and give us a shout at the IO Podcast on Twitter while you're at it. Until next time, go out and innovate.